You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Keep those text messages rolling in at 960-960, name and location. Myself and producer Patrick Dumont need to own up to a bet that we owe Maddie Rose for winning the football pool last year. We'll have football picks tomorrow. What song, what duet song should myself and Patrick Dumont sing to Matt Rose tomorrow? 960-960, name and location. You can even include who sings which part. That would be cool. The head coach and GM of the Calgary Stampeders, Dave Dickinson, at the bottom of the hour, and uh, a soccer analyst who is a professional of the highest degree. We'll do that to wrap up the seven. But right now, on the line, he is the former director of amateur scouting of the Florida Panthers and current scouting analyst for Sportsnet on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And we say good morning to Jason Bukla. Hello, sir. How are you? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing fantastic. Getting ready for the uh, start of the season here. It's it's uh, it's upon us. It's upon us. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you uh, when you obviously uh, you have a busy winter. You're all over the place. Like, what what does your schedule look like in September and October? Like, what what is Jason Bukla doing to prepare for the season? So right now, just uh, laying out my schedule for rookie camps and rookie tournaments. So I'm going to be in Traverse City to start um, next week with the Leafs and Detroit and Dallas and uh, those teams that are going to be uh, Columbus participating there. So uh, I'm going to start off there, and then I'm going to skip over to Buffalo for a day. And then beyond that, um, again, start tracking – you know, mostly Canadian franchises, obviously Sportsnet being a Canadian-based uh, organization, uh, scouting uh, a lot of the Canadian-based uh, training camps and reporting back on prospects and kind of just uh, giving our end user, our viewer, our reader, whoever, our listener, um, kind of an inside track on what what I see, what's going on at different camps, just from a scouting perspective, not, a, not favoring a player one way or the other, just things that are kind of standing out so that gets me in October, and then it's it's full-on starting to establish my first uh, 40 kind of guys for target for the draft. And uh, and then, of course, watching the waiver wire and uh, PTOs have become contracts and everything else. So it's a busy time. It's it's fun. Uh, what, what do you – what do you how much – when you're watching these rookie camps and all these kids playing against each other, how much does that influence on, on how you view them when they're playing their peers? Or maybe not as much because these guys are on the precipice of being NHL players. Yeah, it, you know, at, at the rookie uh, tournaments, if you will, there's a real mixed bag. And there's a, there's a threshold age-wise and, and, you know, categorically how much experience those players can have to – attend those uh, those events so certainly you're trying to gauge them um you know forecast how they would fit in a in a regular training camp type of scenario and perspective is everything so um, a lot of times you're going to get a high-end talent who's hitting the ground running and uh, for example if Fantilli is in in Traverse City you know it's going to be probably a slow bleed towards you know main camp for him uh, if Reinbacher's in 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 Buffalo the same kind of thing so um you know, a little bit of perspective. You want to gauge their fitness. You want to gauge their poise. You want to you want to gauge just their overall uh, maturity and their approach at that stage. But 
Um, certainly, like any other type of training camp, there's there's some growth that goes on with those guys before they get to main camp. So uh, a little bit of perspective is required. What would you kind of describe the emotions like right now for all the offices of the NHL teams as they're kind of starting to welcome players back into their cities and everyone is getting into their new homes and things like that, and you can really feel that the season is close. What is the emotion that a lot of front offices are feeling right now? Oh, they're on the like they're they're getting close to that Christmas Eve type of a feel. I mean, everybody, you know, they it's been everybody's anxious after the draft and uh, you know through free agency and and we get a little bit on the amateur side, a little bit of a taste of uh, the future, and it's good to get back in the rink in August, like at the Holinka tournament, and um, certainly in Europe, you know, with the start of the seasons over there already, you know, they're in full full regular season mode already, Champions League. KHL, uh, Liga, et cetera. So everybody's anxious so to get going, and they're excited. And, I mean, you know, specifically in Calgary, if we look at the Flames, you know, there's been so much movement, and uh, the organization is looking forward to a newfound type of excitement and attitude, if you will, um, to start the season. So I'm sure that they're on pins and needles just waiting to see how um, some of the guys that had had down years last year, how they report, uh, what their frame of mind is like, um, and they want to set the tone of uh, of the environment very very early in camp, and that's going to start at rookie games. And um, so everybody's excited. Everybody's uh, got a kind of a, a map that they they've laid out here for training camp, and uh, they want to get going as soon as possible. Now, what type of Maybe indicators would you be looking for on a player who is trying to have a bounce back year, like a Jonathan Huberto coming back to the city? What are type of the things that you would kind of look for, not only on the on the ice, but off the ice that tells you that he's in a much better place and has kind of washed last season from his hands? Well, I think it's important to reflect. You know, that's a big number, that contract. And, and I think it's important for somebody like Jonathan to come in and say, listen, I wasn't good enough last year. Here's what I've done to better prepare myself for the start of the season. I'm more familiar now with, with the organization as a whole. And I mean that by teammates and environment. You know, he's not having to go buy a new house. and He's not having to, you know, get used to the facilities and the trainers and all that other kind of stuff. So, all the little distractions and I don't know, I don't want to call them excuses, but you know, all the new stuff last year um, isn't new anymore. And, and let's, let's be honest. We all know uh, he wasn't good enough last year. So accountability set the tone early in camp uh, fitness tests very well. Um, and this group as a whole needs a reset from a leadership perspective, um, you know, from the backlands and everybody who's been there already uh, obviously, but but certainly those guys as well, the Hubertos and the and the Uyghurs, and um, and that has to start right away, guys, like right out of the gate. And uh, I also think that some of the the, the youth that's going to be um, thrown at this roster is going to be good for the group. I think it's going to energize the room early in the process. Everybody's knowing now that they have a chance to make the team, the younger guys, and and hopefully play a significant role. And I think that's going to be good for the group. Jason, what are some things, uh, I know Manny asked you about Jonathan Huberto, but in general, when you see veteran players returning to camp and early on in the season, like what are some of the telltale signs that you can look at and go, hey, that player's worked on this specifically? What are you looking for? Well, 
you know, a lot of different things. So let's talk about Nikita Zadorov for a second here. So two years ago, two years ago, um, pretty safe to say that he identified very well with his with him and Gabranson when they played together. We knew what they were, right? Big, heavy, shutdown players. Uh, Zadorov kept his game relatively simple, stayed on the physical side, chip pucks out, occasionally joined the rush, occasionally, you know, provide a little bit of offense. Last year, erratic, right? For me, uh, decision-making was off, timing was off, zone exits were off, guys were sliding in behind him in the neutral zone to catch him off guard. Just everything was just a little bit off for him. So a guy like Zadorov, what I'm looking for in training camp right away when games start is getting back to playing simple, playing to a simple identity. Let's play heavy, hard. Let's chip pucks to space. Let's rely on guys around you to do what they do offensively. But let's really just count on you to keep your game simple and uh, and, and reliable. And then the, the opposite could be saved, uh, said for a guy like Mackenzie Weger, who had a, a better second half. Let's, you, let's get back to being confident with the puck, moving it, joining the rush, um, you know, distributing like you can and like you showed you could at the end of last year. Um, but but hit the ground running this year. We can't afford October and the middle of November, certainly by the end of November, um, to get out of the gate slow. So we need all of our guys on board. Those are two examples of guys that I'm counting on to uh, to set the tone on the back end. And our goaltending needs to be better. I'm looking for Wolf to push somebody at camp, and it's going to be fascinating to see what, how the goaltending uh, shakes out uh, for the Calgary Flames. That's going to be fascinating to watch for sure between the pipes as this team gets ready to try and, and make a little bit of a push here. Um, what are you looking for in a guy like Jacob Markstrom, who had a tough year last season and has to come in and, and be not only a leader for a guy like Dustin Wolf, but also a much better goaltender for this team if they want to get to where they want to go? Yeah, no question. I mean, they need him to be half a goal better and uh, they need him to be, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't have the stats in front of me, but let's call it 10 to 15 points better on the same percentage ledger. I didn't like his starts last year's guys. I didn't like his on time arrival for games. So focus, um, you know, just, just being better prepared uh, for the drop of the puck right away, making that first big save, getting a, getting a stop, getting a feel for a puck and telling your teammates that I'm ready to go. I'm here for you guys. Uh, early and often if required uh, to give us a chance to win more games. I mean, this team was an anomaly. We know that uh, the amount of one goal games they lost last year and, and, and they were so close. They could have very easily went on a, on a run in the playoffs. We've had this conversation before, but they didn't. And when you live on the margins, big saves and timely saves and starting on time um, as a goaltender, those things are extremely important. How many more points could they have stolen off the, off the ledger if, if they got a big save in the first five minutes of games last year, I don't have all the stats in front of me, but I'm, I'm here to say probably could have, you know, banked another seven or eight points, which makes them a playoff team. This is a team that's going to have a new head coach in Ryan Huska. How much do you think he's reached out to the team, maybe players of more veteran caliber, to talk about changes to system, how they'll be deployed, that type of thing, because I'm sure that there's a portion of summer where you just want to let the players be and, and don't want to talk work, that type of thing. But when does that start to kind of lay down a little bit of an outline for what the guys can expect when they actually do show up to camp? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, they are, they're obviously familiar with Ryan and, and, and kind of know what to expect from a personality perspective. But, 
you know, systematically, um, I don't know that they really have reached out to each other a great deal through the course of the season. I think more importantly, what he's probably done is reached out to their leadership group, their core leadership group, and, you know, tried to establish um, his point of view in terms of what we need to do better in the room to elevate the mood and be better prepared as a group. Um, I've gone through a lot of different things in Florida in my time. You know, we, we went through several coaches over a long period of time. And uh, at the end, uh, when, when I was there with Joel, um, we didn't do a lot of, uh, of um, communicating with our veteran court in terms of systematic uh, changes or anything like that. It was more based around mood approach, uh, pre- you know, being prepared between the ears. You know, let's be energetic. Let's be ready. Let's be in good shape let's be in a good mood. Let's be a, you know, let's be a team right off the hop and, and the systems, you don't want to, you don't want to go too deep into that in the summertime because then they're going to be exhausted by the end of training camp and, and, and too much is, is too much. So you gotta, you kind of got to break that in a little slowly. Jason Bukula, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers and scouting analyst for Sportsnet, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Broadcast Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose. 960 the fan um your latest piece for sportsnet.ca really interesting uh jason how much sleep is danny breer losing over his first round pick this year <laughs> you know i i think that uh i think that the fan base and uh the city of, of philadelphia and and some of the writers and the people that i read on social media over a cup of coffee in the morning because i'm not i'm not one of those guys that sits there and reads it all day long but uh uh, everybody else just needs to kind of take uh, take a breath here. This this is about what I expected it to be, which is unpredictable. Um, I've gone through it with several prospects in the past. Um, it's it's a slow burn, guys. And when you've got a long contract like Mitchkoff does, um, there's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows here. Um, so, you know, is it alarming that he was scratched for the first two games? Yeah, I guess. You know, on on the surface, it's alarming, but you know, three years from now, are we going to look back on what happened at the end of August, beginning of September in, in the year 23-24 season and, and say that, you know, that was that important? Probably not. Now, listen, he needs to he needs to get into games and he needs to get settled in. And, and I'm, I'm estimating or I'm, I'm, I'm forecasting he gets farmed back out to another uh, franchise. Um, I do know from my sources in, in Russia that I've worked with over the years that Sochi, um, where he ended the year last year, isn't on the top of his list. And, and the reason is clear that, you know, his dad passed away in that city. They got a lot of leftover uh, residue there, and it's not comfortable for him to, like, to go back there. Could he end up back there? Absolutely. Did he have success there? Absolutely. Again, um, Scott is one of the richest franchises in the KHL, and their coach doesn't care who you are. They just got to win today uh, and worry about tomorrow later. Um He's been beat out of the lineup right now by a high-end prospect by the name of uh, Ivan Demidov, who could be – he could go one this year for all I know. I mean, he's that good. Um, and uh, I don't know. People just got to relax a little bit. It's it's going to be a slow burn. Yeah, this feels like one of those things where, you know, sometimes over in Russia, depending on if they know if you're coming over to Canada, like the, what are some of the – the things at play here that would lead to him getting less ice time than maybe expected, especially by the Philly, uh, the Flyers fan base. 
Uh, well, the first thing that, that always comes to mind, un- unfortunately, is politics of the game over there. I mean, you know, it's unpredictable um, depending on who your coach is and, and, and the scenario. Definitely your contract, uh, um, you know, becomes an issue there. And, and I say that because he's on a long-term deal, so they know that they have him. Um, where the Demidov kid, if they were splitting hairs between the two of them right now, I can see why they would play Demidov over Mitchkov. And, and one of the reasons is that I know for a fact they're leaning on that kid right now to get him signed to an extension with Scott. So, you know, it's a lot mm. easier to lean on him when you're in the lineup compared to when you're a scratch. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's really difficult. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, it's really, really tough. They want to keep their best players over there as long as they possibly can. That's the reality. Um, do you blame them for that? No, they're running their own league and they're trying to do, you know, what's selfishly what's best for their own league. These players though, these high end guys, they definitely want to come to the national hockey league. Um, but it's tough because when you're developing a player in North America, whether it be a college junior, I don't, you know, I don't care even in your minor league system, obviously, you, you know, you, you, you see them, you talk to them, you break down video with them. You're, you're, you communicate with them on a daily basis. These guys over there, you have zero, near zero input on their development path. And, and I mean that, like near zero. There's very few relationships over there that you can 100% trust in the development curve. You're going to have to break players down even further when they do arrive in North America. Uh, that's just part of the process. One of the things that has been talked about is Mavi Michkov as a teammate. There have been reports that he is almost intolerable and you can't get along with him. But you had a little bit of pushback on in your story on uh, some of those pretty scathing reports that we had heard around the draft. Yeah, no, and, you know, and I, to be to be frank, I, it was fifty-fifty right down the middle for the mm. people that I talked to over there. So, and I talked to some of the guys that actually played with him on his team last year, and they were even divided. So. Here's here's my take on it. Like, I, I use I use the phrase in my story. Like, let's not throw rocks at glass houses. Like, how many kids do we know? Like, if we all take a step back and we go to our rink this weekend in Calgary and we watch the best minor midget kid play, how many of those kids have been coddled all the way up? They've been the best player on their team. The organizations looked after them. There's been all kinds of uh, politics involved in their minor hockey process. And then when they get to junior, you know, some of those organizations are still treating them the same way. So it's been no different with Mitchkov over there in Russia. Like this kid's been the best uh, player in his age group all the way along. His dad was heavily involved in everything to the point that when he was in Sochi last year, he was at practice. He was in the coach's room. He was on the bench uh, for, you know, pregame skates. Like, you know, he was, he was always around. So take all that away and now tell yourself you're 17, 18, you're getting leaned on heavily by, um, the politics that is the KHL, you got this long-term contract, there's all this noise around. Like, how many 18-year-olds do you know that can handle all that without being a little bit off on any given day? I, right. I'm suggesting to you, let, let's give them a little bit of a break here. Um, you know, three, four years from now, if the same things exist, well, now we got a problem on our hands. But for now, um, I'm just, you know, I'm taking pause on that. There's been a lot of noise around the kid last year. And I don't know too many 17, 18-year-old kids that can handle all that. So um, I'm giving him a little bit of a break uh, until he's uh, really ready to arrive in North America. Uh, Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot for just a second here. As we get close to the season, I like to get my wallet out and put a couple of future bets down. Uh, would you mind telling me who's going to win the Calder Trophy this year? 
Oh, I love Logan Cooley. I yeah. love Logan Cooley. Um, so I think it's going to come down to uh, – I'm going uh, – I'm going to go with Logan Cooley. I'm going to stick with it. I know everybody's – Bedard's going to be the face of the day. I get it. But this kid's, this kid's phenomenal, and, and I've had a scout's crush on him for too long not to go against it. So anyways, <laughs> Logan, I'm going with Logan Cooley on the call there. Uh, we'll see what happens. Stick to your guns. I love it. Uh, Jason Bukla, <laughs> yeah, I like it. Uh, Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers, scouting analyst for Sports and Books. Always a pleasure. Thanks for this. You know I'm here anytime, guys. Thanks. Looking forward to the season. So be well. Enjoy the rest of the golf, yeah, eh? <laughs> yes, I will. I'll try to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There he is, Jason Bukla on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline yeah tough for Mitchkoff um getting scratched and if you're a Flyers fan if you're Danny Breer it's like please like just we need him but, in three or four years but from. I think that you also understood what you were getting yourself into yeah and like a lot like Jason talks about in his story like his defense he's not good enough and they've moved him to center position and he plays on a team that wants to win they're not about developing players for the NHL so yeah. if you're not going to play defense you're not going to play for them and it's just part of a player maturing. Like, you know, the best the best thing will be for him to come over to North America and, and really get treated like a prospect. Yep. That's not what happens over there. But this is I I would be shocked if this is like Danny Breer's like, oh I can't believe oh, I can't believe they're not playing him. Like, yes, it's definitely less than you would like to see early season, but there's a lot of road to go even for the twenty three twenty four campaign here. Uh, straight ahead, Dave Dickinson, head coach and GM of your Calgary Stampeders, um, a soccer analyst who doesn't miss a beat. Uh, we'll do that. And uh, we're still taking your text messages, 960, 960, name and location. What duet should myself and producer Patrick Dumas sing to Maddie Rose tomorrow to own up to our football bet? 960, 960, name and location. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, downtown studio, it's the big show, Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan at the top of the hour, Jeff Blair, host of the Blair Embarker radio program along the Sportsnet radio network. Jay's looking for the sweep of the A's this afternoon. 8.30, we'll play Impossible Flames Trivia, your chance to win a $50 gift card to VK Bruco and some swag from them. But right now, fresh off that thrilling Labor Day Classic victory down in McMahon, he is the head coach and general manager of your Calgary Stampeders on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar against Hotline. We say good morning to Dave Dickinson. Dave, how are you? I'm doing all right, you guys. We're good. Um, your team scores 22 points in the fourth quarter, wins a thrilling game over your rivals from Edmonton. How does Dave, how does Dave Dickinson go to sleep after a game like that? Well, we don't get a lot of sleep uh, coaching wise. We we try to watch the so after the game you you kind of catch up with uh, your family. They come up after wins, not after losses. So I haven't seen them much this year, so that's been a little troubling. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, no. And then I watch both sides of the ball, try to get notes. Usually get home about one and. Uh, Sometimes I thought, obviously, uh, with the 5 o'clock game that people didn't like, it allowed me to get home a little sooner, but still it was probably around midnight. And then we come in and get ready, and, and uh, with a with the short week, it goes fast. But easier to sleep as far as production, and you got the win, but you always – you got a lot of things rolling through your head, and and 
<clears throat> for me, it's always good just to kind of put it to bed. Like I need to watch it immediately. I have to watch it. I have to see what needs to be corrected, and that allows me usually to have a little bit better plan going to sleep. Uh, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and think of a play? Like, do you yeah. like, oh, that'll work? Yeah, lots actually. It's it's uh, it's not as uh, weird, and uh, it does seem like when you're struggling, you got you know more and more possible plays in your head, which right. probably isn't a good thing. Do you keep like a notepad uh, beside the bed? Like, how do you keep track of this when it comes yeah. to you in the middle of the night? I don't, but I do sometimes wake up and try to get something on uh, an iPad or a piece of paper huh. or something like that. I mean, if you have a notepad, I mean, uh, you're going to have a lot of paper around your house or your office, and <laughs> we do, but uh, I'm trying to get up to the times and put it on an iPad so that you can uh, save it a little easier and not lose it. I like that. Um Dave, did you think there was a chance the game was going to get postponed on Monday because of the smoke? No, not really. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I went to a lot of some bars, not a lot, but in the 90s, I seemed to be okay. So uh, I don't think the smoke was a big issue. It was out there. Um, you know, I don't have <clears throat> maybe lung problems or things like that. I'm sure certain people it affects more than others, but um, – you know, sometimes you can tell, like, I know that readings are out there. I'm not a scientist by any means, but you can, if you can really smell it or you can kind of, you can feel like it's, you just know when it's bad and when it's just there. And I just felt like it was just there. So I felt, I felt good that we were going to get the game in, which we did. Uh, on top of that, you also saw the blackout. Like, did you, did you, were you happy with what you saw in the stands there? You came on our show, you said, hey, I'd love to see everybody dressed up in black. And I thought it looked really good out there. I did too. I thought, um, <laughs> and give a shout out to John Bender who had, yes, uh, sir. he had the white shirts with the red letters and uh, I didn't know it was him until I saw something on Facebook. Dave, how did you not on. know it was him? <laughs> he's a long way away. He's across the way there. Okay. I just saw All right. a blackout with these, then these people in white shirts. Uh, there's a, there's some other big people in Calgary. I mean, Johnny's not the only one, but, uh, I know it's really 40-year-olds and older on Facebook, but I saw he posted something. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. But, no, it was a great crowd. Um, you know, really the only thing missing was a darn flyover. I think yeah. my wife was, was disappointed on that, too. It is exciting for our guys, and we did have military appreciation. And, and uh, you know, football and military go along. Uh, you, you know, you, we always act like, hey, we're going to war. It is a tough game, and guys get hurt. It's a tough game, but then you kind of realize <laughs> – the real soldiers that are out there. And so we always feel good about saluting them and giving them their due. And with that flyover, it's an easy way to kind of put everything together. But with the smoke or the clouds or the weather, it didn't happen. Uh, we, uh, But it was still a, a great afternoon, a great uh, early evening for a game. Coach, can you tell us a little bit about some of the adjustments that were made in the first half or at the first half? Uh, kind of break there as you went in and in the third quarter and the fourth quarter able to rattle off five straight scoring drives the last three ending in touchdowns to kind of pull this thing out and get a key victory break that losing streak well I can't really give you the adjustments because we play them on Saturday <laughs> so you <laughs> I thought we did a good job I thought we found some things that were helping us um you know, defensively, um, we couldn't really contain their guy. I mean, he was—he made some amazing plays. And, you know, you blitz and they throw a quick screen and then, you know, or one-on-one trying to tackle in a bunch of space. And you don't blitz, so they had a pretty good uh, run game going. And then you get the, you seem like you get it all covered up, and then he, he just made some plays. So 
I just felt our defense was was quite tired. Um, they kept mm-hmm. playing. I'm no doubt about it. But there were the D line. I mean, they were running all over the place. So offensively, it was one of those where we got we went for it on third down a few times. You know, and we felt like we we had to score here, or else we're not going to win this game. And and we were able to we were convert and. Um, you know, that basically was the difference. The end of the first half, getting three points, I thought, really helped put it to a one-score game. And then uh, we took advantage of the opportunities. We didn't have the ball much in the in the second half, and we were able to score every time we had it. So that's a really good defense, too. That D-line is, is really good. Um, they they have speed, size. Mm-hmm. So for our offense to, to put that kind of production together, I thought was a real good uh, sign for our team. I don't want to spend too much time talking about the opposition, but what was going through your mind on that Trey Ford scramble play where I think he got 33 yards total, but he ran like over 100 yards all over the field? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if CFL has that like tracker or yeah. whatever and see how fast they go. I mean, we're working on it, but uh, I would like to see, you know, like you said, how many actual uh, running yards it was a you know it kind of goes backwards sometimes he spins and you know we do have a wide field and he's uh he's got great speed and you know here's the thing there are other great athletes on the field like receivers are just that fast but they don't have the opportunity to always throw the ball so he's back there behind the line of scrimmage so all of our smaller faster guys have to stay in coverage and our bigger guys are chasing him around and he just uh he just got through and it was a great, uh, great play on their part. I mean, you just got to keep playing, and you just got to keep rotating your guys through, and you feel like uh, you can hopefully make plays when it matters. And they did the last, the last drive. We got back in his face, forced a two and out, uh, got us a chance, and we we took advantage of it and scored and won. Dave Dickinson, the head coach and general manager of the Calgary Stampeders, joining us here on the Alice Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Big Show, Russick and Rose, nine sixty, the fan. Uh, Dave, what are some of the adjustments or how do you game plan against a team that you'll play for the second time in less than a week? Like, is there something that you've kept holstered that you're going to unleash in the game this week? Like, how does that work adjustment-wise? Well, I think, as you you asked earlier on the adjustments, what you do is you put something together on paper. We always have, like, a double game plan is what we call it. So we we have a lot of plays on paper. And then you just try to adjust what you're seeing and call the ones you hope will work. Um, if you're able to ever get ahead, you can save stuff, blah, 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 but we weren't. So we have plays, a lot of plays on a piece of paper. Now what are they going to do? What are their adjustments? How are they going to take away what we did well? And we have to have plays, obviously, that counter that. So defensively, the adjustment has to be, well, we didn't play bad, but we couldn't contain their quarterback. What are we going to do? How are we going to stop the run game by trying to contain the quarterback? These are tough questions you really don't know the answers to. So I thought our special teams did a fair job, too. I think, um, you know, the adjustments for there would be, you know, we, we definitely felt like um, we gave our guy a chance and saw some holes, but we we took a few, like, undisciplined penalties that we don't normally take, uh, you know, uh, pyramiding, and then we took a UR. So those aren't really adjustments, but every piece of our team feels like, uh, yeah, we won, but we know we're going to have to play better to beat them up there. What did you think of your running back tandem of uh, Mills and Carey on on Monday? I thought they were good. I mean, I thought they ran really hard. And, you know, that's kind of the wave right now, or that's kind of, I guess, the thing that's happening even down south is, you know, like there's not too many guys that dare, like 25 carry guys, and you try to 
keep a fresh guy coming at the defense, and and they've got the same thing on their team. So they're both hammers. They both ran hard. I mean, uh, Mills' touchdown at the end was just a a great uh, personal effort. There wasn't much there. He bounced it out, uh, you know, takes a shot. Um, you know, so I, I really felt good about it, and uh, that's what we foresaw happening at the beginning of the year. Um, and, you know, hadn't happened in injury-wise all season, really. So uh, they are one of the one thing about them. They're similar, but they, you know, they also uh, diff, different, not really different styles, but they're still they run differently. But they have that size. They can catch the ball. They can block, and if they get in the secondary, they do damage on the DBs. So they both played well. Wanted to ask you about your receivers as well. We talked about it going into the week. You had lots of options. There were going to be some good receivers that weren't on the roster. Did you like how the group that you selected played against that Edmonton team? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have the guys in here at two o'clock today. And uh, I give a couple players of the game, you know, guys that I thought, sure. you know, won you the game. And, and it's going to be uh, Markeith and Markin. So we got the double M's, M and M. Uh, you know, both guys, I thought Markin set the tone early and uh, it was excellent all game. And then Markeith making the big catches, but also his physicality and, and how he blocked in the run game. And, you know, he really did step it up. So, we, you know, Jake played well on offense as well. Running backs ran well. Reggie's always our guy, but I just felt like uh, those two deserved their due. So receivers played well and, and uh, take advantage of their opportunities. Got to ask you about the secondary as well. You know, you do have some options there, but during the game lost a couple of key pieces, both playing the same position. Titus Wall, who had an unfortunate injury last year that cut his season short. Then Michael Griffin, who really has impressed going all the way back to rookie camp. Both got hurt. You mentioned post-game that you're worried it might be a little bit more long-term. Is there anything you can share there as you get ready for this practice week? Um, oh, I mean, I'm a, I don't know if they're certainly not to the point where I think they're done for the season. I think okay. one one has a little more serious injury than the other. We'll see. Um, you know, amazingly, these guys can heal and, and uh, they take care of their bodies. Uh but uh, certainly worried that we won't be able to get them here in, in five days. Do have a bye week after that. And, uh, it is tough when you lose guys, when you lose two guys at the same position. Uh, and we've had a bunch of injuries there anyway all year. Um, I just want to give credit to Brandon Dozier, stepped in, played. You know, he can do it, but it's not like he's practiced it. And then Nick Stats came in and played safety. Uh, hadn't played a lot at all this year and, and, and held it together. So having those guys out there, we held it together. I know we still got to be better for this rematch, but that was a, a big loss losing those two guys. Coach, I just wanted to ask you, uh, last one for me is on that final drive that you had. Um, you go out there, you have an opportunity to either kick a field goal to tie it or to go for the touchdown and win the whole darn thing, but you had plenty of time on the clock. I guess what was going through your mind as you were on that drive? The offense had had some success. Did you think that you were going to win that game, or did it feel like you were destined for overtime? Well, I mean, it's kind of similar to me, like the Saskatchewan overtime game earlier on. I always play to win. So Mm -hmm. here's the thing, though. On this game, it wasn't overtime yet. So if we weren't going to score, I didn't want to leave them any time to have a possession. So that was part of my thought process in calling a run from the four-yard line was, okay, even if we don't score, we'll go for it and uh, kick the field goal then on third down. Um, it would have been one of those situations where 
I feel we could have got another play in fairly quickly and uh, end up working out perfectly, I thought, but you never know. But some big throws, big catches, went for a third down, um, got him off sides, and Jake threw a beautiful ball to Reggie over the top anyway. So, um, yeah, I felt good that we were we were in good shape. It's still tough. I mean, you make one mistake, game over. One sack gets you out of position, game over. Uh, so the guys did a good job and kept things rolling. Uh, Dave, obviously uh, you're focused on your season, your league, uh, but uh, the NFL season kicking off tomorrow, how much do you watch while the CFL season's going on? Like zero, a little bit? Do you catch some games? What's your NFL no, I watch a lot. like? I watch a lot. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I play fantasy football, and uh, for oh, me, really? fantasy football is uh, I play with my guys from, from Montana like that I grew up with, high school guys, college guys, and we're all over the country, you know, Canada and the U.S. and Portland and Atlanta and Texas. And so this is my opportunity to kind of, you know, get with them. And I had a rough year last year, barely made the playoffs and then won it. And I just wrote them. I said, don't worry, guys, I, I do do this for a living. So uh, they didn't they didn't really appreciate that comment. So they're after me. They don't make they don't want to do any trades with me. They, they, they blackball me all the time. So. uh it's a little harder, I agree, during the season. But, you know, like we say, the football season starts after Labor Day and CFL. So, for me, the fantasy football starts when we're done and try to get it going after that. I'm excited for the Chiefs and the Lions. I think it'll be a good game. I like watching football, so uh, certainly going to watch that one. Okay. Well, well, Dave, now I have to ask you, like, what, what are some of the fantasy football players you like this season? <laughs> I have to ask you. <laughs> We play a super flex, so, you know, double quarterbacks yeah, okay. uh, makes it interesting with the draft a lot more. Um, I'm usually decent at drafting quarterbacks, but I decided a little different strategy this year. I had the 10th pick. I I took Tariq Hill and came back with Bijan in the second round and mm. grabbed my quarterbacks later and took Tua, who's got a good big injury risk, and then uh, Geno Smith, so I think uh, – I think I'm fine, but Tua is, I guess, high risk, high reward with Tariq Hill. You might have something special, or you might be picking up their backup after week two. So uh, I don't know. I, I do enjoy it. You know what? It's, maybe it's a bunch of wasted time uh, that I don't have, but uh, I feel like it's fun. You can set your lineup, get going, and keep you involved. And that's what I think about CFL, too, to me. If you got some skin in the game, if you actually believe uh, – you know, either gambling or you got something that you want to root for. If you got something, something that draws you to the game, that's how you kind of the fandom grows. And I always believe the uh, for us in the CFL, we need that too. We, we need our guys. We need you to have a little bit. Of, I, I guess not only just fandom to, to want one team to win, but if you have uh, ten bucks riding on it, somehow that right. seems to kind of generate that extra interest. Does for me as well. So that's certainly something we're trying to do in the CFL. Dave, that's fascinating to me. You're a general manager of a professional sports franchise, but also a fantasy football general manager. And a damn good incredible. one. Yeah. yeah, which is incredible. Like, you do both at the same time. It's incredible. That's a tough job, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dave Dickinson, the head coach and GM of your Calgary Stampeders. Best of luck in Edmonton, coach. Thanks for this. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys later. All the best. There he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. There you go. Yeah, he's played for a while. Like he, I know he's talked about like a league that he has with his family before on the show, um, and talked about that other league too. Like, I wonder if there's like prominent 
players or coaches from Montana. Probably. We might know are <laughs> still working around. Like that also that line, like I do this for a living, boys. Like that's yeah. oh, <laughs> so good. <laughs> My goodness! Well, like, like when we're in a league with somebody's like, "Oh, you should know. You do this for yeah. a job." Blah blah blah. I go, "Yeah, but I can't stop injuries." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> No, but you do know. I how, can't stop arrests. But you do know how to get when, yeah. uh, the the fill in. Like you know where to look for the player that would help you out there, right? You know what I mean? This yeah. is just terrible construction of a sentence, but. You know where okay. to look for the help better than other people, or you would yeah. supposedly sure. be better at it. There's no such thing as sleepers anymore in fantasy football. Agreed. Like everyone knows the sleepers. Like yeah. it's not the it's not like, uh, oh, you should take this guy. Oh, I've never heard of him. No. The rise of these fantasy professionals has completely taken sleepers out of the game. The the oh, thing yeah. is just like, hey, you just gotta get a hand you just gotta hit your wagon to one of them and off you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, update, uh, Canada beating up on Slovenia right now, 80-69, to 69, 24 seconds to go in the third quarter. Uh, we hit our bet. Dylan Brooks over the 9.5. Boom. I Easy got it money, at 8.5. Oh, really? Yeah. Even better. Um, I just need Shea to hit a 3, and we are good. Oh, look at you. Didn't sink. They got to keep, it. like, you don't want to bl- keep... Getting up and getting a big lead, so these guys hit the bench. So. Yeah, and I need Shea to stay in the game. So like, I need there's a Luka nine point lead right now. Shea's on the court. Yeah, I'd like like if if Slovenia wants to hit a couple shots, keep Shea on the court. Luca's not on the court right now. I, I He's taking a break. Opposed to it, could one, be right here. One for three from beyond the arc. Oh yeah, right yeah, here. Come um, on, He's coming down the court. <laughs> Fifteen yeah, seconds oh. on the clock. It's tough to watch Luca sometimes one one because just the constant complaining and just he's so ball dominant. Do it's it just from not the logo. Watch. He's two fouls away from getting fouled out too. Yeah, that'd be too bad. Oh, yeah, this one's over. He's holding for the last. He's holding. Ah, I passed it. Um. Ah, before brick. we get to the break, nine point lead <laughs> heading to the fourth. We're still taking your text messages, 960, 960, name and location. Myself and Patrick Dumont got to sing a song to Manny Rose. Uh, which duet song should we sing? We'll, we'll wrap up the show with uh, some of your text messages uh, because we're playing Impossible Flames Trivia at 830. Your chance to win $50 gift card from Vacay Bruco and some swag. We'll do that. We'll talk to Jeff Blair at the top of the hour. So keep those text messages rolling in. Give us some ideas. 960, 960, name and location. The duet song myself and Patrick Dumas should sing to Matt Rose. Uh, but before we get to the break, uh-huh. who hasn't logged on to uh, pleasesoccer.com, P-L-Z, soccer.com, to get some analysis? Who hasn't done that? Pleasesoccer.com. First time visiting. On, uh, can I go here on a work computer? Oh, yeah, this you looks fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. This is all football stuff. Oh, look at that. Scottish. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of what three down used to look like. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. There you go. Um, former Celtic manager uh, Neil Lennon uh, was giving some analysis. And if you want to talk about a pro's pro, <laughs> you know, like a guy that can give you analysis and whatever comes his way, it won't matter. He can still hammer home the analysis. Sure. Uh, there's a clip. It's a five-second clip. Oh, short. Of him uh, giving some analysis before something happens, and then he continues his analysis. Uh, GVP, I hope the uh, the level on this is good enough where you can actually hear it. I, I boosted it, but listen carefully. It's Okay, cool. there you go. Yeah. Uh, here is for, former Celtic manager Neil Lennon talking about some sort of soccer game on PleaseSoccer.com. Hit it. 
he needs to find, first of all, the best formation that suits the squad of players. <laughs> so a little squeaker. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... I don't think our former guest, uh, uh, who we had at seven o'clock, Jason Bukla, is giving analysis on the draft, and then he lets one quietly rip, Just and then he <laughs> stops mid-sentence, and then continues to stops talk. the mid-sentence, realizes, oh, and he's sitting beside this woman. I don't know who this woman is. But it's like no regard. He just lifts one leg up, just leans over. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no. Slaps he one off do, the couch. He doesn't do a leg lift and lean, does he? A no. No. A little slight one. Oh. That's a, a foul. full leg lift, but that's he like, a definitely foul. adjusts himself. Oh. Yeah. Can't do that. Play it one more time. He needs to find, first of all, the best formation that suits the squad of players. Come on, man. That's like... That's like when I'm trying to throw my buddy off of his golf game. So I fart in his backswing. <laughs> or you put it in reverse on the cart, on the golf cart. Oh, no, that one, that's actually, that's not as funny. That's just annoying. Yeah, fart, annoying. fart's funny. Yeah, thanks to Neil Lennon uh, for giving us that little gem this morning. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. I enjoyed yeah, that. Analysis? <laughs> Keep going with analysis. Yeah. That's pretty much what he did. Dude was unfazed. Yeah. It's just like when somebody burps mid-sentence. Yeah. yeah like, gross, dude. And, like, they don't care either. It's like, Let's oh, keep rah, rolling. All right. Um, Jeff Blair straight ahead on the Blue Jays. We'll play some Impossible Flames trivia. What duet song should we sing to Matt Rose tomorrow? 960, 960, name and location. 8 o'clock hour next. Big Show, Russick and Rose, 960, The Fan.